we're in the second week of our series in Colossians chapter 1. We're calling it Through Him and For Him. Um, and if you, if you weren't here last week, um, I'll give you a quick intro to that. The Through Him and For Him, the hymn that we're talking about in, in that title for this series is Jesus. Jesus Christ, the eternally pre-existent Son of God, uh, made man, who, who became a man, lived a perfect, sinless life on earth, went to the cross to take the sins of the world upon himself and was raised again uh, and, and now sits ruling and reigning with God the Father. Um, fully God, fully man. That's the Jesus that we're talking about. And so as, as Pastor Andrew introduced us to, to Colossians last week, um, this is a book that was written somewhere around 62 AD, so about 30 years after uh, the man Jesus uh, was crucified on, uh, on earth. Um, this is a, is a book written by the Apostle Paul. Paul is a man who is, who is a, a missionary. Um, he's a guy who was persecuting the church of God. He was a zealous um, Pharisee, and he, he thought he was called of God to persecute this sect called the Way. Um, and so he was going around, rounding up Christians, putting them in jail, persecuting them. And Jesus appeared to him, showed himself to him, revealed himself to Paul, and said, Paul, you're persecuting me. Um, and so Paul's life was transformed because he saw who Jesus was. And so he then is going throughout uh, the Mediterranean region and preaching the gospel. And, and those who believe, he's, he's forming into churches. He is um, appointing elders to, to lead those churches. And so he has this ministry of, with teams of people that he's working with that are going around uh, preaching the gospel and planting churches throughout the Mediterranean region um, and the, <clears throat> the Near East. And... And this, this church in Colossae is a church that was planted not by Paul, but by somebody who, who worked with Paul, a man named Epaphras. So we get that in, in chapter 1. And Epaphras was from Colossae. He probably uh, was introduced to Jesus by Paul while Paul was living in Ephesus, which is about 100 miles away from, from Colossae. And so Epaphras goes back to his hometown, and he preaches the gospel. He tells people about who Jesus is. And, and people believe, and they're saved, and so and they become a church, and that's this church that we're talking about um, right now. So this is who Paul is writing to. And we saw last week that Paul begins this letter with thanksgiving. He says, I, 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 I never stop praying for you. I thank God for you. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. So it's thanksgiving and prayer together. Um, he's thankful for the faith that they have in Jesus. And then he prays for them, and we saw last week the things that he's praying for them. And we saw that those are, those are things that, that we're praying for ourselves as a church. Um, he prays, and we see in, in uh, verse, verse 9, that, that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will, God's will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So, so that's what Paul is praying for them. That's what we are praying for ourselves. That's the what part. And the why, we saw in, chat, in verse 13 and 14, is because we belong to Jesus now. Because he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So it's the what and the why is, is where we've started out. And so now, today, we're going to talk about the how. How do we walk in a manner worthy of the Lord? Um, if you'll pray with me. Jesus, we thank you um, that, that this, is, this is your word. Uh, we, come, we come to it now humbly seeking you to, to, to speak to us. Lord, it's, it's, if anyone is going to speak to us, it's you. And so we just, we just ask that you would speak. Lord, I pray that, that uh, you, would, you would just give me um, your words to say, and you would give us as a church your ears um, 
that we would hear what your words are, Lord. So I just pray, Holy Spirit, you'd come, you'd fill us to hear and respond to the truth of who you are, Jesus. We love you. We pray it in your name for your glory and our joy in you. Amen. Okay, so, so I just started out promising you that we're going to talk about how um, we walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And so we're going to get right into it. Our text for today is verse 15 of chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. So I just said, we know the what and the why. Now we're going to talk about the how. And Paul says, he. Um, as Americans, we probably, when we think, okay, we're going to talk about how, you know, we can be a little bit impatient. We can be a little bit pragmatic. We just want to give me the steps to do. One, two, three. Tell me how to get from here to there. What's the shortest point between A and B? And so we think there's going to be a list of steps. And Paul says, he. Well, like, as I said at the beginning, the he that he's referencing here, you look back into the previous verses, it's the beloved son, Jesus. So he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For those of you who have kids, this might be a kind of a familiar situation. I know it is for me. Debbie and I have four kids, and it doesn't matter where we're going, but I'm usually you know, focused on the A to B. And I remember several times over the years, in the last 12 years, where it's getting home late in the evening, You've got kids in various states of uh, disrepair. Some of them are pretending to be asleep. Some of them are asleep, but they don't know it. You know? And so they're kind of talking and doing things that you can't rationalize. <clears throat> and so you, and you got all the detritus of, of life that you carry in your minivan with four kids. And you're trying to get it all in the house, right? And you are walking in there. I've got to get from this door to that door. That's a pretty short distance. And at some point you hear somebody go, Daddy! You're like, what? And it's, did you see the moon? Look at the moon. They're just totally awestruck by this thing that I'm just ignoring because I'm just trying to get from point A to point B. And that's what a little bit what Paul reminds me of here. We're expecting him to tell us how, and he says, stop. Look at Jesus. Before you take a step, look at Jesus. Um, and another thing that we need, to, we need to recognize about this whole section from verse 15 to verse 20 um, it, we miss it a little bit in the English translation, but in Greek, uh, this is poetic language. Um, this is structured and written in a way that's poetry. It's a poem about Jesus. Um, and I, I don't know how many of you read a lot of poetry. It's not a huge value in our culture. But well, one of the things about poetry is that it is, it is the crafting and the shaping of language um, to use words to get us to a, a depth of meaning and beauty and, and wonder at, at that meaning. Um, so it forces us to stop and contemplate and think. Um, and just as kind of, a, kind of a bunny trail, as God's people, as people of the word, um, we want to be people who are, who are thinking about the words th that we use and the way that we communicate. Um, and, and we, of all people, should be careful to, to craft. And we should be not only about our words, but about our lives. Our lives are, have this opportunity in Christ to be this poetic um, picture of who Jesus is. And in fact, in, in Ephesians, we'll talk about that in a minute. Ephesians 2, Paul calls us God's workmanship. And the word he uses is poema, which is also where we get our word poetry from. Um, so it's an interesting parallel there. Okay, back to it. Um, so the he here is the beloved son, Jesus. And I believe when Paul is asking us to stop and contemplate and consider who Jesus is here, what he's really saying is how you do this is by focusing on who. So the who is the how. I don't think that's a Dr. Seuss reference, but kind of sounded like it. 
So let's get into it. He tells us two things about Jesus. He tells us he's the image of the invisible God and the firstborn of all creation. So let's start with the image of the invisible God. Um, and both of these, I would say, the image of the invisible God and firstborn of all creation, these are areas where we can, where we can slide in the wrong direction. So I just want to start off by saying what this doesn't mean, and then we'll talk about what it does mean. Image of the invisible God doesn't mean that Jesus is just a reflection of God or a projection of God or just a picture, okay? Image of the invisible God means that when we look at Jesus, we see two things. First, we see who God is. And second, we also see that Jesus is God himself. We see God himself in Jesus. Um, So the story of the Bible starts with God, almighty God, creator, creating all things. He creates everything. He creates the whole universe. He creates mankind. He calls everything good. Um, He creates mankind, male and female, in his likeness and image, and he... He gives them a choice, and they, they, when they're given the choice to, to obey or, and to, to believe God's word or to rebel, what choice do they take? They take the rebellion, right? And so, so we humans have rebelled against God, um, the creator. We have rebelled against the rightful king. Um, so that's what we call the fall of humanity. But right from the beginning, right after that, God promises, and all throughout the Old Testament, we see God promising again and again and again and again and again to send a redeemer, to come and, and fix what has been broken, to come and, and save his people. Um, and, he, and he sends prophets to his people, and the prophets, uh, they, say, they, they start to make very, as, as it gets closer and closer, the drumbeat gets louder and louder, they start to say, he's going to do these things, and it's, he's going to be like this, and he's going he's to have this sign and this wonder and this miracle that goes along with proving who he is. And so when Jesus comes on the scene, in the first century Palestine, Jesus comes on the scene and people start seeing these signs and these wonders and these miracles that he's doing and people start saying, is he, is he maybe the guy? They're ready for the Redeemer. They're ready for the Savior to come. And so people are looking for that. And so they, he, he's, he's doing these signs and these wonders that the prophets said he would do and they're going, I think this might be the guy. But then Jesus does something that kind of freaks people out. Um, he says... He makes a claim that he's God. He's not just a man, but he's also God. Um, We see this in John 14. John 14, 1 through 11. Um, Jesus uh, speaking to to his disciples. And he says, uh, starting in verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so... Would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas, one of the disciples, said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. These guys kind of remind me a little bit of Smalls and uh, the Sandlot, where the guy says, do you want us more? And he says, how can I have some more if I haven't had any already? Um, They're kind of missing the point. Jesus is telling them, you have seen the Father, and and they're missing it. He says, have I been with you so long, and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? 
The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. So again, Jesus is, is saying, you, you were promised that I, would, that I would do these works, and I'm telling you, not only am I doing the works, but I'm actually God, made flesh. Um, believe me. And then we switch back to Colossians. Um, Colossians, and then chapter, chapter 1, verse 16, the next verse um, in the series that Brian will be preaching on next week. Um, For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth. Um, so Jesus is saying that he's God. Paul here in Colossians is saying Jesus is God. That, 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 that story that we, just, that we just thought about, the creation, the fall, the redemption... That Jesus is saying, I, I am the creator and I'm the redeemer. I'm God. I'm both of those. Um, that, should, that should be something that we marvel at. That should be something that causes us to stop and look. And that's why we have this poetry here. That Jesus was fully man. And that he... He is fully man. He is also fully God. He is, he is um, both together. And, and that he is the creator and he is the redeemer who is sent that is foundational to the Christian faith, that is founda- a foundational confession um, to the Christian faith. Without it, we're missing something about God um, and, we, and we veer in, in the wrong direction very quickly. Um, and I think that's something that, that those of us who have been Maybe been Christians for a while, been been in the church. We're gonna be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I get that. You know, we get a little bit desensitized to these deep, marvelous truths about who God is, about who Jesus is, and who what God is doing through Jesus. And we can be desensitized, and we can we can just say like, yeah, just get to the practical stuff already. You know, I've got all these messes in my life that I need to clean up. Just telling me that Jesus is God again, telling me to consider that He's fully God and fully man. It's not helping me clean up the mess. Just give me something practical. And what I want us to understand, what I believe God wants us to understand in this, is that theology is practical. Considering who Jesus is, focusing on Jesus in everything, is the most practical thing that any of us can do. Um, It changes everything in our lives. It changes how I think, it changes how I speak, it changes how I act. Um, There can be nothing more practical than something that changes all of those things. And in fact, it changes the core of who I am. It doesn't just change my actions or my, my feelings. It changes my identity. Um, so I want us to understand theology is practical. Um, the image of the invisible God, we see what God is like, and we see that God, that Jesus is God. When we, when we get to the place where we where we understand that this holy, righteous, completely separate other God who made everything, who is sovereign over all of creation, that he emptied himself and became a servant, that he took on the form of a man, that he became a man, that that he humbled himself further by becoming obedient to death on the cross, and that he did that for wretched, rebellious sinners like me that changes everything in our lives. It has to. 
If it doesn't, we're missing the point. So I think that's why we need to stop here and see who Jesus is. The second thing that Paul tells us here about Jesus is that he's the firstborn of all creation. And again, like I said, we can, we can go and veer in, this, in the wrong direction on these things, on these two statements. Um, what this doesn't mean is that Jesus was created, that he is the first created being. There are people who have gone there throughout the history of the last 2,000 years, and it is not the truth. Excuse me. What it means to say he is the firstborn of all creation, that word firstborn is an indication of, of the father's heir, of the heir of the whole estate of the father. There's the, you know, in ancient cultures, and in this culture at the time, there was the law of primogeniture, which was basically um, that the, the oldest son inherited all of the father's possessions. Um, and that's what this firstborn is indicating here. This firstborn is indicating the heir. Um, if we go to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 through 3, it gives us a little bit more of a, a description of that. Hebrews 1, chapter, chapter 1, verse 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Okay, we just talked about that. But in these last days, he spoke to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So Jesus is the heir of all things. Uh, I want us to understand a couple things about what this means for us practically in the here and now and forever. If Jesus, the Redeemer, Jesus, the Creator, Jesus, the God-Man, is the heir of all things, if the Creator and the Redeemer is also the heir, um, then he's the one who's created us, he's the one who's redeemed us, and he's the one to whom we are being redeemed. We're not being redeemed to someone else. There's no gap in between the Redeemer and the heir the one who will receive the inheritance, that is, God's people. Um, So we're not just saved from our sin. We're not just saved from the wrath to come. We're not just saved from these things. We're saved to a relationship with God in Jesus. And And if the Redeemer and the Creator and the Heir are all the same person, um, that this, that this inheritance, this new creation that, that God is, is creating um, is, is all centered in Jesus. It's all centered in what he is doing and what he has done. In Ephesians 2.10 it says that, that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So it's not, it's not our good works that create us. It's God's workmanship, God's poema that we are. He has created us in Christ Jesus for these good works that we should walk in. So last week we talked about how we walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. We talked about walking in freedom. Um, we talked about walking in, in action. We talked about walking in good works. We talked about walking in dependence on the Spirit. Um, and how we do that, why we do that, is because it's, that's what God has created us for. Those are the, that, is, that is who we are now as the new creation, as God's people who have been redeemed by Jesus. And so if the creator 
who created all things and is creating the new creation, has created us in Christ, um, is also the one who's redeemed us, is also the heir to whom the inheritance belongs. Who's going to get in the way? Who's going to interfere with that inheritance? Who is going to say, no, Jesus, I've got a loophole in the will. This belongs, half of this belongs over here. Nobody. Who is going to make a charge against God's elect? No one. It is God who saves. It is God who justifies. Uh, the answer, who will separate us from the love of Christ, is a resounding nobody. Because Jesus is the heir. And so when, when, when that gets into our lives, when that gets into our hearts, and we see clearly who Jesus is, it changes everything about how we live because we walk in confidence knowing that he has created us for these good works. We walk in, in humility and dependence knowing that he's the one working in us and through us um, to, 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 bring, to bring us to the place where we are walking in a manner worthy to the Lord and abounding in, in good works. Um, it changes everything. So how, how do we walk in a manner pleasing to the Lord? Like I said at the beginning, the who is the how. How we walk is by focusing on Jesus. Um, and I just want to wrap up with, with a couple of examples of how that happens. Like I said, it changes our whole life. But I think there's two primary ways that, that we need to hear uh, today. First of all, when we, when we see that, that Jesus is how we walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, um, it, changes how the, it changes the way we approach sin. It changes the way we approach sin, which is rebellion, which in turn also changes the way we pr- approach obedience. The opposite of rebellion is obedience. Um, so how does it change the way we approach sin? My default mode, and I'm guessing many of your default modes, is when I see sin in myself, I go, well, what do I have to do to change that? If, if, I, if I recognize it as 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 sin, I recognize as wrong, the wrong direction for me to go, okay, what do I need to do to change this? Um, or I think about how bad is this for me? You know, if I do this thing, what are the consequences? What are the bad things that are going to happen? Um, what's somebody else going to do to me if I do this thing? You know, that's kind of my guard against sin as a default, right? I just don't want to get whacked with a big stick, so I'll just keep on the path and keep my eyes down. Um, when we see who Jesus is, And I was, I was talking to a friend uh, not too long ago who, who used an amazing, just a, it was a brilliant example of saying, you know, I had this experience where temptation, opportunity to sin, and I said, but if, but if Jesus is the king, and he's good, and he's loving, and he is the one who suffered for my sin, why would I, why would I want to do that? That he has said, is wrong. Why would I want to rebel against that good, loving king? Um, and so, so it doesn't just make us stop sinning, but it actually turns us toward obedience. So when we understand how loved we are, how gracious God is, that doesn't make us go, okay, well, I'll just go sin some more. It actually changes how we even view that, but we see that as rebellion, and we see obedience as a joy. Um, it, changes, it changes the way we see um, so our obedience isn't based out of fear. Um, that's, you know, that's what Paul says about the law, right? That the law um, showed me my sin, and it, and it, and it showed me how sinful I was. But in, but in Jesus, I see God's grace, and I see how forgiven I am 
and then I want to live in obedience to him. Um, the second thing that, the second way that it changes how we, how we approach sin is, is when somebody sins against us. If I know that, that I and you are the same in, in this way, that we are both rebels against the holy, righteous God who created all things, and you sin against me, and I see clearly how much I have been forgiven, how much my sin has been taken away, that it's as far as the east is from the west, and you sin against me, I'm compelled to forgive. I'm compelled to be compassionate. I'm compelled to look at you and say, look at Jesus, look at Jesus, look at who Jesus is, because I don't want you to feel condemned. And if you're a parent, and I have failed at this myself, if you're a parent and your, your children sin against you, or if you're married and your husband or wife sins against you, or if you have a friend who sins against you, you need to point them to Jesus. That's why I have to be focused on Jesus so that I can also focus other people on Jesus. If you point them simply to their sin, they're going to feel condemnation. They're not going to see the grace and love of Jesus. And so we point each other to, to Jesus. That's what discipleship is. Discipleship is following Jesus. The word discipline and disciple, there's something that matches there, right? They're similar words. Discipline is not about getting hit. Discipline is about seeing who Jesus is and following him. So we can f- be forgiving people. We can be gracious people. We are those things because of what God has done for us in Jesus and the new creation that he has made us. That's why it blows people's minds who don't understand grace when they see you go, you know, when they see you come up and confess, hey, I sinned against you. It blows people's minds. Will you forgive me? It's not the way the world works. The world works on, I get what I deserve or I skirt around that somehow, and you know, if I can keep, keep just this far off of the line, I'll be okay. Um, that's why people are blown away who don't understand grace when you say, it's cool, I forgive you. Yeah, that was, that was hard, that was wrong, that was mean, whatever, but I can forgive you because Jesus has forgiven me. It's a, it's a huge difference from how the world lives. And then the final thing that I want to see about what, how our approach to our whole life changes when we see the reality of who Jesus is is that it changes how we experience and approach suffering. When we suffer in this world, and we will, Jesus himself said, you will suffer. Um, when we suffer, when, when somebody decides that, that you're preaching of the gospel of Jesus or you're, you're just saying, telling the truth about who Jesus is, when somebody decides that that offended them and they're going to make you pay for that offense and they're going to just keep grinding at you with, with how intolerant you are because you just told the truth about Jesus. Um, when something in your life is, is overwhelmingly heavy and it hurts and your soul aches and is, feels crushed, in those times, seeing who Jesus is, seeing clearly that the creator is the redeemer and he is the heir He is the one who is going to do something with this life that we are in. That our suffering is not meaningless or purposeless. And even when we don't understand, even when we don't feel like we understand, or we don't feel like we like where we are, that's why it's called suffering. It's not enjoyable in the traditional sense of enjoyment. Even when we don't feel like God is 
close. Because Jesus is God, because Jesus is man, we know that God has come close, that he has drawn near to us, so that he has actually put his spirit in us. Now I can go through suffering knowing that, that, it's, that it's Jesus who is with me. Even when I don't fully understand what the suffering is about, even, even when I plead day after day for, for God to, to take away that suffering, for him to change the score and whatever's going on in my life, he is still with me, he is still good, and he is redeeming all things. He is redeeming his new creation, and he will inherit us, and with him we will inherit. And on the day that Jesus comes into the full uh, possession of the inheritance, visibly before the wor- world, the church will come into that inheritance with him. And, and all of those things, Jesus himself will wipe every tear from the eye, and all of those things will be made right. Um, so I want us to understand as we close the the value not just the value, the necessity of theology the necessity of us as a people thinking about these great deep truths, meditating on them, contemplating them telling them to each other, reminding each other of them, it's not just so that we can you know Act, talk, talk with big words. Speak with big words. It's not, it's not just so that we can sound smart. It's not just so that we can, can feel like we've, you know, we've checked off our quota of knowledge for the day. That it's the most practical consideration that we can have. That it, that it practically changes everything about who we are. It practically changes every decision that we make, every thought that we have, every word that we say, everything that we do. It changes that. And it changes that now, and it changes that forever. Let's pray. Lord, we're weak, but you are strong. We love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Jesus, that you did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. That you humbled yourself, you emptied yourself, that you became a servant, that you humbled yourself and became obedient to death on the cross. Lord, we thank you that you did that so that we would have redemption and the forgiveness of our sins and that we would be a part of your inheritance, Jesus. So we pray, Lord, I pray for, for Anchor Church. I pray for all my friends here today, Lord, that we would see clearly who you are, that you are not just a man with good ideas who did some good things, but you are the God-man who has created, redeemed, and, 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 and called his people, and that you are the heir who will receive the inheritance. Lord, to you be all the glory today. I pray as, as, we, uh, as we go from this place that you would be glorified in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.